everybody tonight. How is everyone doing? You doing well? You're here. That's great. Uh, you know what? I wanted to just, uh, just start off by acknowledging, uh, maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes you have one of those weeks that, uh, that things turn into a bit of a grind. Do you know what I'm talking about? I had one of those weeks this week, and, and I'll just share a bit about it with you because I, I get to do that for a second. But it was one of those weeks where it was like one thing after another. Like the, the air compressor broke that I needed to use for these projects I was working on. The handle just broke off it. The sliding glass door handle broke, as in the metal, the cast metal cracked. So there's no fix for that. It's just a broken door handle. I'm looking for a new part to fix that thing. And then the refrigerator of this thing that holds the refrigerator door closed, that got cracked also. And it's like a $108 part. And I, I'm still working on that one. And, and, and then the house got all full of flies. And then let me see what else. The printer wouldn't connect and it couldn't print no no matter what I did, it just wouldn't work. And then I got myself a nice bottle of iced tea and cracked that thing open and, and I it just enjoyed it. And after I took the gulp, I discovered the iced tea was totally and completely spoiled. I figured that out the hard way. And then uh, a, a sprinkler head bust and I had to dig around and fix that. And, and then, uh, you know, anyway, all of these, add in a few relational things and throw that all on top of some physical things. And it was one of, those, one of those weeks where all of a sudden the needle is just doing like this. You know what I'm talking about? Of course you don't know what I'm talking about because you're angels. You live on clouds like cherubs. But, but me, <laughs> I, I have this thing, this gauge inside of me that when those kind of things happen one after another, one day I'm going to be a spiritual guru and it won't even register. I won't even care. But I'm not quite there yet. And so what happens is one after another, those things click up and up and up. And, and it gets to a point where that grind gets so much, it's so intense that it reaches is a point where I, if I'm not careful, I can become this guy. I can become that guy right there. You know what I'm talking about? Those moments where as much as you want to be that, oh, full of the presence of God kind of person, just somehow all of those little clicks of the grind somehow click that out, out of sorts from within you. And it's important to be able to recognize it when you're having one of those moments where the grind is going on. And I know somebody right now is listening to me going, well, those really aren't very big problems. You should just be thanking God that you have a sliding glass door that could get broken. And I know, and I do, I thank God for it. But nevertheless, those, uh, those grind moments do have a way of taking their toll on us. And, and I think it's important that we recognize it. And I'm learning to recognize it more while I'm in the middle of it rather than just after the fact. After I always, or, sorry, always, <laughs> already turned into that guy. I, I want to recognize the grind while it's happening so that I can get what I really need, which is more of God's grace. And that's really what I'm discovering for my own life is that I need more of God's grace in my spirit. I really do. It's a week like the one I just described that highlights the lack of it. You know? It's a, a series of events like the one I just described that makes me all, all of a sudden aware of just how much I really do need quite a lot more of the grace of God in my spirit. And what I'm learning is that it's an experience <clears throat> of the love of God that gives me entry into receiving more of the grace of God. 
And, and so what I want to do is I want to learn to let the love of God give me more of the grace of God for the grind that I'm facing. I want you to write this simple thought down, and I, I want you to take this note and, and experiment with whether this could be a resolve for you as I'm embracing it, that I'll let God's love give me grace for the grind. I'll let God's love give me grace for the grind. I wish I could tell you tonight, hey, I've discovered the secret. Here's how you can prevent yourself from ever experiencing the grind. But you all know that's not true. That's not possible. But what is always possible is to enter into the love of God and find through an experience with the love of God a greater measure of the grace of God to fill the spirit so that you have grace for the grind that you face. So I don't know what grind you're facing. I don't know if it might be the pressure uh, with, with stuff going on at work or maybe it is a, a marriage mistake that you're still trying to deal with and maybe it's a parenting thing that you just haven't figured out the secret for or, or it could be the the loneliness, or it could be the, uh, the financial burden. I don't know, but chances are in a room this size, there's a good number of us that have got a bunch of grind going on. And I'm praying that you would discover that God has grace for you in the grind. I'll let God's love give me grace for the grind. I want to ask you to turn to James chapter 5, verses uh, 7 and following. We're nearing the end of the series on the book of James called Basic Training, and we're taking to heart the straightforward wisdom from God's Word on daily living. And when you turn to James chapter 7, what you find is not first world problems. I mean, the, James is writing in a, in a situation where it isn't somebody complaining about, you know, his refrigerator handle is broken. He, he's, he's writing into the first century context where you've got the Roman forces occupying the known world and oppressing everybody left and right. And, and you've got early believers that are enduring massive persecution, people being thrown into jail, others even uh, being martyred for their faith. I mean, it's a difficult situation. And James is addressing the grind of the people in the first century, the believers in the first century, who have, have, they have major grind going on. And there's a, a word from God for, for those early believers, but by extension, it's also God's word to every single one of us. And so we'll just turn there now to James uh, chapter five. And by the way, in case you're wondering, what happened to the first six verses? Because we're gonna jump in at verse seven. The first six verses, you can do the Bible study on your own for those ones. But the essence of it is, listen, if you've got a business and you're a boss and you've got money, do not fail to pay the people that work for you. Don't make their grind any harder by failing to pay them what they're due. And I would say that might be a word for somebody. But I would assume all of you are good bosses. You pay your people well. So. The scripture says in verse 7, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. I wonder if it had anything to do with the fact that the word patience is used four times in this one verse that all of those things happened the week that I got to preach this. Anyway, you too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. 
Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you've seen what the Lord has finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. I love that. Just a simple yes or no. The older translation says, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And I love that straightforward, simple proposition of just let your yes be yes. Give a simple yes, as in, do you love coffee? Yes. Everybody say yes. Right. So it's no secret, I love coffee, and I love really good coffee, and you would be right if you accused me of being a coffee snob. I, I am. I'm guilty as charged. I really am. And uh, so this past year, I got, a, I got a, a gift for Christmas that I had wanted for quite some time. It was a really nice coffee grinder. It's a coffee snob coffee grinder, right? It's, it's a conical burr grinder. It, that's all, I don't even need to tell you any more than that it's awesome. So got this new grinder. I, I'm the kind of guy that buys the beans fresh, and I grind them every morning within seconds of before brewing the coffee because I'm at that level of coffee snobbery. Anyway, so I got this new grinder, and I, and I, and I uh, got it going, and, and I just, you put the fresh beans in there, turn the knob, it grinds, you know, let it go for like 25 seconds, and I'll have all the coffee I need. I was so enjoying this, but it was new to me. I was figuring out how it worked. Anyway, a couple days into having it, I come down in the morning, and I do the thing. I get all this stuff set up and turn the knob on the grinder and wait the 25 seconds. Then I get the coffee. There's a whole lot more of it than I expected, and it was barely ground at all. I mean, it was like the consistency of gravel or grains of rice or something. It was like, it was terrible. It was not what I was expecting in any way. And the coffee snob inside of me lost all of his patience. I'm like, what's wrong with this expensive grinder? Is it broken already? You know, one of those kind of things early in the morning. And uh, then I discovered that what had actually happened is one of my very curious kids had adjusted the settings on the grinder that I was still getting to know and didn't quite know how it functioned. But he turned it to like a, a 25, whereas I like it at about a five, where it's like ground into fine dust so that you get mud at the bottom of your cup. Like, I like it like that. Anyway, uh, all that to say, when it comes to the grind, there are different levels of grind that we experience. And obviously, James isn't using the word grind. James is using the more direct word suffering. But I just didn't feel like talking for a half an hour using the word suffering again and again. So I'm using the word grind. And I do recognize there's different levels of the grind. And yours might be at a level 5. Someone else's might be at a level 25. It, you know, but it's grind nevertheless. And we need to be able to acknowledge it when we're going through the grind of one kind or another. And then figure out how we can step into an experience of God's love to get grace for the grind. Turn to somebody sitting nearby you and just tell them, you need God's grace for the grind. Just go ahead and do that now. You need God's grace for the grind. You know, it's interesting. James, uh, James is dealing with suffering. He's dealing with the different kinds of grind that, that people experience. And... Whether it is a, 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 
uh, high degree of difficulty kind of a grind, or just an easier grind, but still a grind. It's grind nevertheless. And James has an interesting way of, of helping us to deal with the grind. And what James goes to to help us deal with the grind is he urges us to step out and see the big picture. I mean, he doesn't use those exact words. You didn't hear those words when I just read James 5, 7 to 12, but that's the essence of what he's saying to us. In fact, when you look at verse 7, this is what you, you do find there. It says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. And you too, be patient and stand firm. Say the last part out loud, because the Lord's coming is near. This is, in a way, James saying to you and I, you need to see the big picture. You need to keep the big picture in view. When you're in the middle of the grind, the temptation, the tendency is to get so swept up into it that you believe that's all that exists. And James is saying, look, the Lord's coming is near. He's drawing our attention to something that goes far beyond the right here, right now. He's saying, you got to zoom out. You got to see the whole thing, and you got to be able to pan all the way across from the left to the right and see that the Lord's coming is a reality. That, yes, suffering is real, difficulty is real, but so is the second coming. Okay, the second coming of Jesus. This is something that maybe we don't spend a lot of time uh, hearing messages about. But it is a reality, and it is a core belief of the Christian faith. We believe this core, this core assumption that what the creeds said from back in the day, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, is reality. Why don't you try saying that phrase one time? Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. You know what? This is part of the reality of the Christian faith, is that we have a Savior that we know who has come into this world to accomplish our salvation and who rose from the dead, but he is seated at the right hand of God and will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. That's part of what we believe as Christians, and it's something that when we think about it, it gives us hope. When we think about the fact that the, the Savior is coming again, it gives us hope. I mean, you might hear this and, and say, well, I would argue that you know, people have been believing that for a couple thousand years, and it hasn't happened yet, so maybe it'll be a couple thousand more years till it happens. Someone else might argue, well, I believe that the signs of the time are so intense that The second coming of Christ is closer now than it ever has been before. And how about let's not argue at all? How about let's just embrace the great hope that is inspired when you really begin to think about the fact that Jesus is coming back. Jesus, the one who you know as the source of love. Jesus, who's revealed himself as the prince of peace. Jesus, who is the one who speaks peace to stormy seas. Jesus, the one who causes sickness to run and flee. Jesus is coming back. Somebody shout amen. That's the good news. That's part of the good news. We have a a savior who's coming back. And, and, And when you think about the second coming of Jesus, 
What you're really doing is you're directing your mind out of the right here and right now and into something that transcends time and space as we know it. When you think about the second coming of Jesus, you're thinking about the Prince of Peace coming to make all things right again. When you think about the second coming, you're thinking about the one who said that there would be a new heavens and a new earth making them. When you think about the second coming of Jesus, you're thinking about the arrival of the one who rules over everything and a time when the kingdoms of this world will have become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. When you think about the second coming of Jesus, you're thinking about a time when a cosmic shift takes place, when every last vestige of pain and the demonic oppression and addiction and affliction and suffering of every kind is eradicated because of the power of the grace, beauty, and love of Jesus. That's something good. And, and in a sense, James is saying, I know it's hard right now. I know there's a whole lot of grind, but there's so much grace in the fact that the Lord's coming is near. I, I want you to say the phrase, the Lord's coming is near. I mean, that's what we read. That's what's in verse 8. The Lord's coming is near. Put that back up. Verse 8, it said, you too, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. This is the Holy Spirit, through James, inspiring a group of people that had a high degree of difficulty grind, that there was hope to be found even in the midst of the grind in the second coming of Jesus. And if it was good for the people that James was speaking to in the first century, it's just as good as, as it is for you and I now. There's grace in this, the second coming. You now, Jesus speaks about uh, the second coming, and he, he talks about it like this. In Matthew 19, he's speaking about his own second coming. And in Matthew 19, verse 28, it says, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, he's talking about his second coming, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus is describing this, this time when in his second coming, everything that's wrong will get made right. And, and from time to time, you and I need to let those words of Jesus, and this is just one place where he speaks of it. We need to let those words of Jesus describing something that's beyond here and now, but is yet full of hope, we need to let it get under our skin. Because don't we let a bunch of other stuff get under our skin? And isn't that part of what the grind is all about? About the way things get under our skin? And Jesus is wanting for this to get under our skin, this, this hope of his second coming. And, and James is very much specifically speaking about the second coming of Jesus. But when I read the words, the Lord's coming is near, it, it also encourages me to think about just the fact that we should always be anticipate how Jesus is showing up. How the Lord's coming is near. I want you to say it again. The Lord's coming is near. The Lord's coming 
is near. He's coming into your marriage to teach you how to love him better and how to forgive him more. He's coming. The Lord's coming is near. He's coming into your business to give you strategies and ideas for how to really develop something that will bring great value to people. The Lord's coming is near, and he's coming into your friendships to show you how to carry someone's burden so that they feel his grace in their life. The Lord's coming is near, and he's coming into your parenting to help you figure out what she really needs so that you can bring it to her at this developmental stage. The Lord's coming is near, and he's coming into that health diagnosis that seems to leave you so weak, and he's bringing his healing touch. The Lord's coming is near, and he's coming into the loneliness to bring people around you that would love and care for you. The Lord's coming is near, and he's coming into the darkness and the shame and the brokenness, and he's bringing the eternal grace that was what he purchased through his death on the cross. You can shout amen. Amen. The Lord's coming is near. Say it. The Lord's coming is near. And maybe sometimes we just need to say that out loud. When we're in the middle of something that seems to be crushing us with its weight, the grind is so intense, and we need to say it out loud. The Lord's coming is near. And whether, whether it's the second coming that James specifically had in view or the general anticipation that every believer should ever have about the fact that Jesus is willing to come into our lives is truth. The Lord's coming is near. 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 Come on. The Lord's coming is near. The Lord's coming is near. Sometimes this is just what you need to lift you from the the grinding down that seems to happen because of the weight of so many things. So Jesus described it. James described it. We're embracing it. But you know what? I I told you about how I, uh, I like to grind my coffee. I didn't tell you about how I like to make my coffee. Secret right now. If you, if you had any interest in becoming a coffee snob, I'm just going to take you up a notch, all right? So uh, you, you, you might have assumed that because I, I said I'm a coffee snob and that I grind my beans fresh every morning, you might have assumed that I'm the kind of guy that likes a pour-over coffee. I don't. I don't like that stuff at all. It's weak. It doesn't have enough flavor. And when I taste that stuff, I feel like it's missing something because if, if you don't know this, you should know that a great coffee is made with heat and pressure. A latte-making machine, an espresso-making machine, it has pressure, and it's pressure. I use an AeroPress to make my coffee. It's a cheap man's espresso maker. But it, it, it's a, it, you, you, you push this thing, and you'd think it was like a French press, but a French press, you can kind of press with your finger like this. The AeroPress, you got to put all your weight into it, and your shoulder bared down into it, but it's the pressure that causes all of the richness and flavor of that coffee to be fully extracted. And, and here's the thing. In the Christian life, if all you ever had with sunshine, blue sky days, your faith would be like pour over coffee. I mean, it'd be there, it would service, but it, it wouldn't have the strength and boldness that's extracted because of the pressure. 
And I want to sometimes say, God, thank you for the pressure. Thank you for the grind. I don't like it, but I thank you for it because it's drawing out a boldness of faith that easy days would never require of me. And this, in the end, is part of what you will stand before Jesus and give an account for, is how there was a boldness of faith that rose up for you in the middle of the grindiest of grind days. And you're going to want to have a testimony of bringing a, a pressed faith at that time. Listen, James also starts to address the fact that when pressures rise, it's usually our relationships that suffer. And, and that's kind of what comes next. You read in verse 9, he says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. You know, sometimes in our life, we receive advice. And I have the, one of these moments, I'll never forget, is this, this counselor gave me one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received. At least for me, it was. And, and he said to me about our, my marriage, he said, you need to recognize you're in the middle of an intense transition. And because of that, you need to give extra grace to each other. And it's one of those things, for whatever reason, that's just left a permanent impression in my mind. That when we're in these moments where there's a lot of transition, we've got to give extra amounts of grace to each other to make it through it. And when James here says, don't grumble against each other, I think he's acknowledging that when the grind is on, that's when the grace tends to go out the door. And, and in my relationships, when there's pressure, especially in those moments, I need to let God's love give me grace for the grind, and in particular, grace for the people that I'm in the grind with. If you're with me, shout amen. You, you know that this is true, that when the pressure rises, the relationships can tend to be affected the worst and it's the grace of God that is needed the most. So grumbling versus talking to. <laughs> when, I, when I read James saying, it's the Holy Spirit really, don't grumble against one another. I, I picture moments of grumbling against that I've witnessed. And most of the moments of grumbling against that I've witnessed were not moments where one person was talking to another person directly. Grumbling against tends to take place when the person in question is nowhere near. <laughs> and grumbling against tends not to be some sort of a constructive feedback. It tends to be a rip, tear down, smack down, slander fest. And, and you know what? I, I, can, I, I can't even keep count of how many times I've personally witnessed this. And a lot of times we tend to grumble against leaders in our lives, whether it's the, uh, the leader of our department at work or, or the leader of the section of the hospital where we work, our charge nurse, or, or maybe it's the, the life group leader that you know, we're grumbling about, whatever. Sometimes it's the pastor. <laughs> I can't even keep count of how many times, literally, I, I'll be walking around a corner, and I'm about to come around the corner. I hear a conversation. I slow down a little bit, and I hear Every word of the grumbling. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I've lost count of how many times I've, I've heard the grumbling about me, but I've also lost count of how many times I've participated in the grumbling against someone else. And yet, the Spirit of God through James is saying, yeah, could you just not? Just don't. When did it do you any good? 
to fill your heart with a bunch of negativity about them and that and this. It didn't. Just seasoned your heart with a a predisposition to negativity and to a negative experience with that person. Don't do it. That's the word of God to somebody right now. Don't. Just stop. Don't grumble against one another. But, But James says something interesting. He gives us a word picture that might help us not to. He says, the judge is standing at the door. Who's the judge? Sunday school answer. You can use it. Throw it out there. Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) He's standing at the door. What if we could actually use our imagination the way James is maybe prompting us to and imagine Jesus just standing at the door, right when we're about to have one of those conversations where we're going to talk about them and what they did, and how they, and I don't think, and I disagree with, you know, and all that. And what if we could just imagine just Jesus kind of kicking it right by the door, just listening? And, no, and he's like, no, 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 please, go ahead. Get, sit. I mean, it is my daughter you're talking about, but, but by all means, keep going. <laughs> right? If we could just maybe imagine Jesus just standing at the door, maybe we'd determine to speak a little differently. And maybe we'd even hold back on the grumbling to some degree. Maybe we ought to take it to heart and, and see it as though the judge is standing right at the door. So verse 10, it says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So James is is still talking about that grind, and he's giving us another lens to think about it with. And and he says, you got to think about the prophets. You got to think about the prophets. You got to think about Job. And maybe we don't, you know, think about the prophets as much as the people James was talking to would have. That was their Bible. (laughs) So when he says, think about the prophets, they're going, oh, yeah. Because here's... Here's the deal. When, when James draws attention to the, the prophets and what they endured, he is, in a sense, saying, bad things happen to good people. Don't be surprised by it. I mean, you read through the Bible and you find it. I mean, just to take the, the prophets in particular, Ezekiel. Ezekiel's wife died the day before he was supposed to give his big message to the people of Israel. That's quite a grind. Daniel, deported from his hometown and grew up in a foreign country, thrown into the lion's den. Hosea, a wife who cheated on him again and again and again. Elijah, suffered rejection, faced depression so bad he wanted to take his own life. Jeremiah, things were so bad for him, they just called him the weeping prophet. His own people beat him up and had him thrown in prison for sharing God's message with them. Job, Job lost Everything as a result of a demonic assault. I mean, these are, these are the things that James is drawing the attention to, saying, think about it. But he doesn't leave us just with their suffering because he also talks about Job and then says, but you do see what God finally brought about. Did you catch that phrase? That's again, James zooming out and saying, big picture, this This grind and the difficulty of it is not all there is. You do see what God finally brought about. Everybody say, finally. Finally. There's a finally. 
because of God's love. There's a finally for each one of us because of God's love. And this is where James lands by saying the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. It's, it's the grace of God that comes through his love for us that allow us to get through the grind days that we're all going to need to get through. And so I want to do it. I want to let God's love give me grace for the grind. This is what I'm made for, an experience of his mercy and compassion. I want you to just put some praise on your lips with the words of the Psalms as I wrap up this message. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. I want you to say it out loud together. Ready? Go. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Let's keep going. Psalm 103, verse 8. Say it with me. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Step into the depths of the love of God for a moment longer with me. Psalm 86, verse 15, say it. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. These, these words remind us of the eternal and unfailing love of God that's available to us at any moment. And in an experience of the unfailing love of God will allow you to increase your experience of the grace of God for whatever grind is out in front of you. So I want you to pray with me. And maybe for some of us, we need to discover this, this truth that God is compassionate and gracious. He's compassionate he sees, keep that up, guys. Keep that up, please. He sees the difficulty. He sees the, the trouble. He sees the trial. And he has compassion for you in it. And he's a gracious God. He's willing to give to you what you don't deserve, the fullness of his mercy and his love. And it comes through Jesus. So I want to pray right now that, that God would give some of us a sense of his grace in this moment for whatever measure of grind we're facing. And then for others of us, I want to pray that God would awaken us to the compassion of his love that comes through Jesus. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that uh, this, even though this is kind of not a happy, happy message hearing about suffering and the grind, what's a, a beautiful truth is that it isn't all there is. And I thank you that at any moment we can say the words that James gave us, the Lord's coming is near. And I pray, God, that even as we say those words, that for each and every one of us, they would, they would be words that would draw us up someplace, draw us up out of the, the heaviness and the grind of the right now and into an eternal perspective. I pray that for every single brother and sister in this room, God, that, that we would be able to remind ourselves, this isn't all there is. The Lord's coming is near. He could come right here, right now, into the middle of my circumstance and show his power and love. I want you to, while we're praying together, just say it again. The Lord's coming is near. Say it. The Lord's coming is near. And thank you, God, that your compassion is real. Your grace is real. I pray, Father, for an awakening unto your compassion and your grace in this moment. For somebody here tonight, 
here's the deal. God sees you as you are. And he's not waiting for you to make yourself look better somehow. He sees you right as you are, and he has compassion for you. The pain, the difficulty, the trial, the shame, the guilt, the sin, all of it. He sees it all. And yet his heart towards you is one of love and compassion. And his heart towards you, out of his love and compassion, is to save you, to rescue you. And the rescue comes through Jesus and what Jesus has done. This is a gift. This gift of salvation comes as just that, a gift. Not something that's forced on you, but offered to you. And if you're here tonight and you would say, I want to receive this gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. I would like to know that I'm right with God, and I can't make myself right with God, but I would like to receive that gift of salvation. I want to ask Jesus to forgive my sin and save my life. If that describes you right now, I want you to simply raise your hand. Raise it up right now as a way of saying, I want that gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of the forgiveness of my sins, the gift of the guilt and shame being washed away. I want you to raise your hand and make it known right now that you want this gift of salvation through Jesus. And then pray with me and say, Jesus, here and now, I turn from my sin and I turn to you. And Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you save me? I put my trust in you. I believe you're alive. And I'm asking you to come into my life and be Lord, Savior over all. God, I also pray that right now, for some of us who are facing a grind that seems so severe, it feels like it's going to take us out, I pray for an increase of faith right now, a supernatural increase of confidence in the living God, in who you are and what you can do. And I pray, Father, that as you rise, raise us up and raise up the level of confident faith in this room, Lord, that then we would have testimonies of what you did to bring us into an overcome and an overwhelming victory because of who you are and your love for us. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you, God, for your power in this place. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, if there's anything else you have for us, that you'd do it. You'd show us the visions and speak to us the words that we must hear to live. While we're sitting together in God's presence, maybe you'd just pray with me and just say, Holy Spirit, come. Just say those words, Holy Spirit, come. Yeah, Holy Spirit, come. If there's anything else you have for us, we're yours. While I was praying, Holy Spirit, come, a vision came into my mind of an anvil, a heavy piece of iron. Uh, and that's the thing that something gets pounded on. And the word of the Lord in that is that there's purpose in the pounding, that there's shaping that's taking place, that, that the craftsman uses the anvil to bring about something distinctly beautiful. And that part of what's happening right now for, for somebody is, is just that, yes, there's some pounding that's been going on. Can't sugarcoat that. But what you can do is hear that what God's really doing is making something beautiful out of you, making something that a master craftsman will take great delight in. That's a word of knowledge for somebody. If that's you, you can just hold on to it. Why don't you stand to your feet? And let's.
give God some praise, give him honor and glory before we leave this place. Let's worship together. Thank you.